Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John's Gospel, chapter 13, as we continue our study there. I want to talk today about the dangers of pride and pretense, the dangers of pride and pretense. And uh, the title of my sermon is kind of a takeoff of Jane Austen's famous romantic novel, Pride and Prejudice, which was written in 1813. And it was a story about the twists and turns of Victorian romance in rural England. And it's been the target of many spoofs and spinoffs. And uh, I think maybe I read the cliff notes. I never did read the book itself. But our setting today is in the upper room there in Jerusalem the night before Jesus will be betrayed and crucified upon the cross the next morning. And uh, we're going to read about this story. And of course, that's the way we see the picture. But actually, they were reclining at the table, which makes much more sense because that's a 15th century painting. And this was first century uh, in the... the, uh, the East. So we are going to consider two people today. We're going to look at Judas and we're going to look at Peter and we're going to see the difference in those two and we're going to talk about pride and pretense but we're going to talk about them in flip order because Judas and Peter were diametrically opposed. They were polar opposites and we're going to talk about Peter or excuse me Judas first but first off we're going to read from chapter 13, starting in verse number 18, if you will stand with me. I do not speak concerning all of you, Jesus said. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that you may, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. That's the way John describes himself. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Now go down to verse number 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord... Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the passage of Scripture that we have. And I thank you, Lord, for the spiritual implications that we can 
uh, see in our passage and pull from it to help us look within ourselves to see what type of people that we truly are as well. And Father, I pray that as we consider the danger of pride and pretense, that we might understand that we can simply fall into spiritual pride and also we can have spiritual pretense. So help us, Lord, that we would be true believers, true followers of Christ. And Father, we would not deceive others or even deceive ourselves. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now there are two major things I want you to see. And the the first one is about Judas. Judas was guilty of spiritual pretense. He was simply going along to get along. He was playing a game. And he was supposedly a friend of Jesus who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of of silver. Now, if you can imagine that, 30 pieces of silver we think is a lot of money, but actually the pieces of silver in which Judas sold Jesus for would be the equivalent of about $100 today. So you can see that Judas sold Jesus out for mere coins, and it's amazing that he simply did not care any more for Jesus than that. In fact, the name Judas has become synonymous with that which is associated with betrayal. And you don't find anybody who names their son Judas, do you? In fact, I don't know of anybody named Judas outside of Scripture and in the period after the first century. Now, there's a couple important lessons that I think that we need to understand here. And the first one is this. You may be acquainted with Jesus, but not truly saved. You may know the name Jesus, you may understand what he did, but that doesn't mean that you have a personal relationship with him. Let me describe what I mean by that. When my wife, who was not my wife at the time, was 15 years old, they had moved back to, to the States from Spain, and they were stationed in Utah at Hill Air Force Base. And that summer, she came to see her grandmother, Mama Ruby, who many of you knew, who's passed away a few years ago, and she was walking with a friend who happened to be the pastor's daughter. And the pastor's daughter said to her, said, do you know Jesus? And she said, oh yes, that's God's son. And she said, no, do you know Jesus? She said, well, I really don't know what you mean by that. And she spoke with her about that intimate relationship that you can have with Christ. And she said, let me take you to my dad and he can talk to you. And at that point, she moved from just having this mental assent to who Jesus was to this personal relationship with who Jesus truly is. And there was a transformation process that took place in her life. Now, listen, that's what has to transpire to move from this intellectual assent to this absolute certainty that we are a child of God. You see, in the entirety of human history, uh, when we think about this, Judas benefited from being with Jesus in his presence for three and a half years. He was there for all that Jesus did. And that spiritual pretense that he put on that he knew Christ, but he did not know him in an intimate way. Now, the question would arise naturally then, well, why would Jesus choose Judas? Why would Jesus choose Judas? Well, obviously Scripture answers that. In verse number 18, our text tells us, I do not speak 
concerning all of you, Jesus said, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted his heel against me. Now, why would that be put in there? Because it was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Because the prophecy had said that a friend will betray me. Now, in uh, King David wrote these words. And he wrote them about his son Solomon, but it was also prophetic, looking forward to what would transpire with Jesus. And he said, even my own family. And he's talking about his son. His own son Absalom would betray him and attempt to have a coup to overthrow the kingdom of Israel and oust David from his position as king. He said, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. And David sang that song, if you'll go back and look at it, with a broken heart. And Absalom rebelled against him and tried to steal his throne. Likewise, Jesus' heart was absolutely broken here because of what Judas had done. He had considered Judas a friend and now Judas had betrayed him. In fact, A few hours after this meal, Judas would go out. He would depart to Gethsemane, and and Judas would, would go out into the night, and then he would come with a group of soldiers, and he would betray Jesus with a kiss. Now, Judas spent three years in the university of Jesus. He was full of biblical knowledge and biblical truth. Yet he had not been transformed by this truth. You see, you can answer a lot of biblical questions. You can have a lot of knowledge. You can know the 66 books of the Bible. You can know the 12 apostles. You can know the historical story of the Old Testament. You can know intimately the gospels of what Jesus did and his signs in John's gospel. You can know the 13 books that Paul wrote. You can know the books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. You can know the the book of Jude and James and Hebrews and on and on. But until you have an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ that he has transformed your life, all you have is a historical knowledge of the Bible. And a historical knowledge of the Bible never transforms a soul. Judas had, did not have a problem with information. He had a problem with transformation. He was never changed by the Holy Spirit of God. Judas witnessed all that Jesus had done throughout these three and a half years of ministry. He was there when Jesus turned water into wine. He was there when Jesus raised a dead man. He was there when Jesus caused a blind man to see. He was there when Jesus healed a withered man. He was there when they broke through a roof and they lifted up this man who had not walked and he rose up and walked. He was there at the pool of Siloam when a man who had been invalid for 38 years. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He was there for every single occasion and he was there at the resurrection of Lazarus, yet he was not transformed. You can know all of the scripture, yet if you haven't been transformed by the scripture, by the very act of the Son of God as he gave up his life on Calvary's cross, listen, you have missed the mark. You see, going to church doesn't save you. Singing in the praise team doesn't save you. Pastoring a church doesn't save you. Knowing the Ten Commandments doesn't save you. 
teaching a Sunday school class or greeting people at the door or working in the nursery or being a child's minister or a youth minister or anything else does not save you. Walking down an aisle and praying a prayer does not save you. Entering into the baptismal pool does not save you. Those things are good and fine, but they don't transform your life. The transformational process comes when the Holy Spirit of God enters your life and changes you from within, and you're a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things have become new, and old things have passed away. That's when the transformation process takes place, and not until then. Now, Many people have their name on a church roll, but they do not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day they'll hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Wouldn't you rather hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things, I will make you now master over many things. Which would you rather hear? You see, some here are skeptical about faith and skeptical about Jesus. I mean, you've heard the stories and you've thought this, you know, if I could just see Jesus in flesh and blood and if I could hear his voice and if I could see the nail prints in his hands and if I could see the spear indention in his side, if I could see those things, then I would believe. Not necessarily. Jesus walked with Jesus over three years and yet he did not believe. He had the disciples fooled, but he did not have Jesus fooled. And then in verse number 23 or 21, it said, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one will betray me. Now, I don't think the eleven eyes darted toward Judas, do you? Because they didn't know. I'm going to guess if eyes darted anywhere, probably darted toward Peter because Peter was so impetuous and he was always saying things out of character. They may have looked at Peter, but nobody suspected Judas. Isn't it amazing how you can fly under the radar? Isn't it amazing how spiritual charlatans can, can fly under the radar and yet... They don't know Christ. They don't have a relationship with Him. They, 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 they have never been transformed by the power of God. And then in verse number 25, it tells us, Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, He said to Him, Lord, who is it? And when He is leaning back on Jesus' breast, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John and the writer of the gospel. And John said, Lord, who is it? I'd like to know. Who is it? Who's going to betray you? I mean, we'd like to know that too, wouldn't we? You know, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, you can fill some of the people all of the time. You can fill some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. But I want to add something that you can't fool God any time. I mean, we can fool others, but we can't fool Him. So Judas was guilty of spiritual pretense. He was acquainted with Jesus, but he was not truly saved. Secondly, part B of that is this. When you reject Jesus, here, listen to me, your destiny is darkness. Your destiny is not light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And darkness has this symbolic meaning. And in John's gospel, you have light. Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. And then the darkness is symbolic of not walking in the light or not having a relationship with God, not having a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Now, when you turn from the light, the only thing there is, is darkness. There are not shadows. It is either light or it is darkness. And Jesus said in verse 20 these words. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. In other words, if you're going to walk in the light, you have to believe that God sent me, and then I received you, and then you received me, and then, listen, you understand that God is the heavenly Father, and I am the divine representation of him in human flesh, and I am here before you. Jesus, listen, He offered Judas the opportunity to walk in light. But Judas refused and he went out and the text tells us it was night. And you know what? The darkness just got darker and darker and darker. In fact, it got so dark that Judas committed suicide the very next day. You see, there's a misnomer. And it's this. I had a young lady ask me one time. She was a fairly new Christian. We had uh, uh, nurtured her in the faith. And, and she asked me this question after she'd been to a funeral. She said, Brother John, why is it that at every funeral that person is going to heaven? I said, it's not the determination of the pastor who sends somebody to heaven. Often, listen... We want to think someday, someway, somehow, everyone's going to go to heaven, but that's not true. And she said, why is that so? And I said, well, it's not. It's not. And people try to comfort people by telling things that are untrue. A lost person is a lost person, and a lost person will go out into eternity separated from God Forever and ever and ever. And what we need to do is tell people the truth. I am not the one who sends anybody to heaven or to hell. I am just the courier boy that tells the good news of a resurrected Savior who died to set us free from our sins. That's our responsibility. Listen, most people have this mistaken notion about hell. They think it's bright lights and a big party. They think that they're going to see their friends and they're going to live it up. But you know what the Bible says about hell? It is outer darkness. There is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of intense pain that goes on forever and ever and ever. And 2 Peter 2, verse 17 says, These are wells without water. Remember what the rich man said, if you could just send Lazarus and have him dip his finger into water and place it on the tip of my tongue, for I am tormented in this place. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, the blackness of darkness forever. Have you ever been in a room that was so dark you didn't know any direction to go? I have been lost in my own bedroom before it's been so dark. Have you? And you, you're, you're like, I can't find my way. Can you imagine being in outer darkness forever and ever and ever? And all you hear are weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I can't even begin to imagine how horrible that would be. In Matthew 27, we see the final day of Judas' life. 
He was full of regret. But his regret did not lead to repentance. He came and he offered the money back to the high priest and the chief priest and and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they refused to take it because it was blood money. So Judas threw it into the temple, ran out and hanged himself, and the darkness became even darker. You see, the darkness had just begun for him. Some people are like Judas today. The church members, they've never been transformed. They talk the talk. They don't walk the walk. If you're one of them, it's not too late. Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And I think the three most horrible words in Scripture are depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Some people appear outwardly to be Christians, but inwardly they have never been transformed by the presence of God. One night a man walked an aisle at a revival service, and he received Christ as his Savior. And then he asked the pastor if he could speak to the church. And it was a country church. And he said, most of you know I'm a taxidermist by trade. I make dead things look alive. And for the last 40 years, I've tried to look alive to you. But I've been dead inside. But today, I've been transformed and I am alive. And I am no longer representing something that is dead, but I am representing the life of Christ which is alive in me. You see, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter if I think you're saved or you think I'm saved. It doesn't really matter. It only matters with Him. It only matters that we have that relationship with Almighty God. That man went from being a pretender to a true follower of Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the very same thing. So, we see Judas, and and we see that that, that Judas was spiritual pretense. Now let's look at Peter. Peter was guilty of spiritual pride. Of spiritual pride. Now look at verse Number 37. Let's put verse number 37 up there. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Now, that's pride, isn't it? I know, Lord, everybody else is going to betray you, but not me. I'm going to be there to the bitter end. I'll stand for you when everybody else leaves you. And never worry, Lord, you don't have to look over your shoulder. I'll be there. Now, Matthew's gospel adds these things. All these others may leave you, but Lord, I never will. And Peter, Jesus says, you know what? You're going to deny, deny me three times before daylight. You're not nearly as strong as you think you are. You may be prideful and arrogant, but you're going to fall like a one-egg pudding. You're not going to be able to stand. You don't have it within you. So let's learn a couple things from Peter. Number one, 
we are often too proud to admit our weaknesses, right? We're often too proud to admit our weaknesses. I mean, we're all weak in different ways. Pride's a sin that blinds the person who has it. We don't think we're prideful. We don't think we're arrogant. Everyone can see it, but the proud person who has the problem of pride cannot see it in themselves. There's plenty of biblical warnings. I mean, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. We know that. There's a children's fable I read many years ago. It's about, about a frog and two ducks. And there's a drought, and, and the pond is receding. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And in this fable, the two ducks and the frog can talk back and forth, okay? And as they're in the, the, the pond, and it's receding, and, and the ducks say, you know, we can fly to a new pond that's larger, but you can't because you'll hop, dry out trying to hop there, and you'll lose your life. And the frog said, I've got a plan, the two of you ducks take a stick in your bill and then I will grab a hold of the stick and I will fly with you to the new pond and we'll all live happily ever after. Well, they were going over the farmer's house and as they were going over the farmer's house, the farmer said, what an ingenious idea. I wonder who thought of that. And the frog said, I did. Pride goes before fall and we can be so prideful second thing I want you to understand is this Jesus doesn't give up on us when we fail can you say amen to that I am so glad that he doesn't give up you know in, in chapter Luke chapter 22 verse 31 it said Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat now the words turn back in our text is the word repent. And uh, the difference between Judas and Peter is Judas had regrets and killed himself. Peter had uh, repentance of his sin and Jesus restored him to the place that he held previously in his role of leadership because he realized he turned back, but Judas never did. There was a junior executive at IBM a number of years ago who took a real chance and lost $10 million of IBM's money. The president, Tom Watson, called him in and he said, I guess you're going to fire me, sir. He said, fire you? We just spent $10 million training you. You know, we've all failed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is full of famous people who have failed, isn't it? Abraham lied two times about Sarah being his wife so he would save his own neck. Yet God chose him to be the father of the nation of Israel. And then you have Judah. Judah failed. Then you have Jacob. And Jacob lied to his dad, and he lied to his brother and stole his birthright. And yet God used him to have 12 sons be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. 
God used Moses. Moses murdered a man, was banished for 40 years to the backside of the desert. And then God used him to bring the children of Egypt out of Egyptian, or the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. David sinned with Bathsheba and had his, her husband Uriah killed. And yet God used him mightily. God restored them all, and God will restore you. So do not let your failures define you. God will continue to use you. How many of you have flown commercially before? Most everyone here? You know, we used to have to go to the ticket counter. Remember that? You don't have to anymore. I mean, you can print your ticket online, get it on your phone. I mean, all kinds of new, interesting things you can do. used to go there and... When I first began flying, they'd say, what's your final destination? Remember that? I always wanted to say heaven. (laughs) That's my final destination. That's not what they wanted to hear. And then when you're coming in even to this day to land at the airport, what do they say? You are on your what? Final descent. You're on your final descent. I want to say, no, no, I'm not on my final descent. I'm going to ascend. I am going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with Almighty God. The question is this. Has pride been a stumbling block for you? Has pretense acting as though showing something that you're not? I want everybody to think I'm a believer. But if you're not, Listen, it doesn't matter what any of us think. Because I can stand here and say, what a great person you were, how faithful you were. But, you know, I can't determine your final destiny. God does. What is it? What is it? Only you know. But listen, I would be shaking in my shoes to walk out of this building today and not have a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father because we don't know how many days we have. And we have been reminded of that very recently. If you need to come, you come today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you accept us back even when we have sinned egregiously. And Father, you know our hearts. Father, you've told us we can't even know our own heart. It's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? But Father, when you give us peace, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that peace comes from a personal relationship with you. So Father, I'm praying anyone here today who does not have that, would have that today. And I pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ.